Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with The Telegraph and Mitsubishi Motors. Just 11 days now till the start of the 2019 Rugby World Cup in Japan. We're here with you every Monday on Full Contact for the entire build-up and of course throughout the tournament. The warm-up games, they're now finished. The teams are starting to make their way to Japan, England. I understand they've got stuck in a storm and it'll be waiting five hours for a coach. So much for Japanese efficiency, where they say. Look, today we'll be putting all of the four home unions under microscope ahead of the World Cup opener, which is on September the 20th. England ended their warm-up series with a fairly routine win over Italy on Friday night. They've got a curtain raiser against Tonga, and we'll be speaking with the former winger Mark Coeto about how likely their chances are of winning the trophy once again. Ireland will somehow go to the World Cup as the number one ranked side. You work that out. If you can explain how that's come about, then please do, because I have no idea. Um, they've had a poor... 2019, their win over Wales at the weekend was probably their most encouraging performance since their win over the All Blacks way back in 2018. The former Ulster centre Darren Cave will join us to discuss that win and also the end of an era for his former club teammate Rory Best. As for Wales, they've now slipped back to fifth in the world rankings after back-to-back defeats against the Irish. That's three defeats from the four-one games for. Warren Gatlin's side will speak to the Wales and Bath said to Jamie Roberts about whether that will affect the mood in the camp. Scotland needed a strong second half to beat a tough Georgian side at Murrayfield and will be speaking to the former captain Alistair Kellogg who has traded the pitch for the boardroom um, about their chances in the coming World Cup. I'm delighted to say another Scot alongside me today so we can discuss all things Scotland to former Scotland and Lions fly half Craig Chalmers. Hello Craig. How are you doing, Good to be here. Yep, they're Scotland. Look, uh, four warm-up matches, three wins. Um, you can't say they've played particularly fluently, other than in patches, but given the number of injuries they had to very key players, and especially multiple injuries in one position, it was always going to take time for them even to get those former regulars back into the side. Do you think they've had enough time before the pivotal games in their group um, to refashion and reassemble what on paper is a very good squad, starting 23, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I mean, listen, we've, we've got some good players that have been injured, but I think every team 
in the Six Nations had players that were key to the team that have been injured. So we're no different from anybody else. So I think we've got one or two back. Barkley, Barkley was a key player for us, um, I think, back in the squad. But he's not captain anymore. He's, you know, Gregor's taking that off him. So that's a, a, a bit of an issue. But I'm not concerned about the the form. I think it's, it's patchy at times. It comes in and comes out. And that's been a big problem over the last two or three years under Gregor is it a little bit incons inconsistent so the first game in Paris was a bit of a blow for everybody but you've got to remember that all these players haven't played for quite a long time and uh, well, same for the French obviously but uh, you know we, we were very disappointing but we turned it around the week after and the confidence that we got from that win at Murrayfield against France a good French side uh, we took that into Georgia who are obviously a lot weaker um, a great win in Tbilisi, playing away from home, or probably our first win for a long time away from home. We're not very good away from, uh, good away from home. So, Would you like to see them play more Tier 1 teams? Uh, yeah, but I suppose it's... <laughs> I mean, uh, it's a double-edged sword, really. I think, uh, you know, I think it'd be great to play the bigger sides and test yourself fully, but, um, you know, it's, listen, I think it'll all unfold during the World Cup. I think what we've done is we've got onto the plane this morning with one guy who I think one guy who would probably be on that plane um, with a bar, bar an injury which is Sam Skinner I think I would definitely have taken Sam Skinner on that on the on the World Cup about Hugh Jones because he, he, he oh. impressed me and I was I was a little bit surprised about his absence yeah yeah. I, I mean, know he's going to take 31 think, but yeah I know I think uh, what he's done since he's coming to international rugby um, has been fantastic he scored some great tries going forward he's fantastic you know, great outside break. He's very elusive. Um, you know, decent hands. He's not played much rugby in the last six months at Glasgow. You know, I, I don't think the coach there fancies him that much defensively. He's a little bit, a little bit iffy here and there. And he's gone for Chris Harris. I, I would, I would have gone for Hugh Jones. I think there's a lot of calls for Hutchison as well from Northampton to go but um, I think uh, Hugh Jones instead of Harris for me but listen everyone's got their own squads that they've taken and picks but I think Gregor's very much got most of it right um, you know maybe back rows maybe still a little bit of an issue a big ball carrier um, I might have taken Magnus Bradbury um, who was on standby um, for Jamie Ritchie, Ritchie over the weekend so I think Jamie Ritchie's he's recovered and he's going to go he had a head knock I think what do you think the, is behind the the changing captaincy to Stuart McNally? I, I I can't fathom that one. Well, I think uh, I think I don't think John Barkley's guaranteed his spot, uh, and I think that's maybe you know the issue. Um, I think John's been out of the game for a long time with injuries. Um, he's come back in. Will he start? I don't know. He's you know he's he's not stood out for me in the in the game that he's played. Um, Laidlaw scrum half, I think Ali Price might start one or two games. There's not much in between them. I think the way Geggers try to play the game, this fast, open, expansive game, the fastest international game in the in the world, um, Ali Price suits that better, but he just loses control sometimes, whereas Greg has got the control. But no, I think uh, Stuart McAnally is a fantastic captain. He's captain in the 20s when, when I was coaching the Scotland 20s. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he shows great leadership, uh, a great example all the time to, to, you know, and the boys want to follow him. So I think uh, he'll be ideal. I think he'll go into and do a great job. Given the number of injuries and the way in which the campaigns unfolded pre-tournament, do you think that Gregor definitely knows he's starting 15 or 23? 
I think he's pretty much, you know, nailed on to what he what he wants. I think something like Darcy Graham is just throws the you know throws the hats in there a little bit because um, you know you got Seymour and Maitland who would be your nailed on wingers probably for many, but Darcy Graham, this wee guy from Hoyk, has come on the scene and he's scoring tries for fun. He's looking sharp defensively for a little guy. He's really really good. Um, so he he could really you know push for a place in in that test starting lineup and I think midfield is a is one as well that's been talked about a lot. We've got a lot of centres in Scotland that are good players that have been left out. Um, so you've got I think we'll start, I think he'll go with Sam Johnston and Duncan Taylor, um, and obviously Finn at fly half is a, is nailed on, and then you've got options at scrum half. But depends you know who you're playing and I think we've got to be able to adapt and that's my biggest issue with Scotland is that can we adapt to playing different types of game in different conditions you know especially if it is monsoon conditions in in Japan at some point well, you not only need to adapt from game to game you need to adapt within games as well don't you oh exactly and that and I think our players you know our players have will do that. I think Finn Russell's a clever enough rugby player. And I think, you know, when he, when he's hot, he's he, you know, he's 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 boiling. And uh, you know, he's done some great stuff over the last uh last few years. And you know, he could be one of the big stars of this World Cup if he if he gets it right. And if he gets a platform to play off because you know, listen, these fly offs and scrum offs are only as good, and the wingers are only as good as, as you guys up front. If you, and if they can supply the ball and the platform to play off, then you know Scotland have got a great chance. Well, you invited me to lump on Scotland at fifty to one, <laughs> which is a you know good outside, but you'd be, be, I'm not sure. I'm not a betting man anyway, but um, <laughs> trying to inject a little tone of realism. What do you think would be a good tournament for Scotland? A good tournament semis. for Scotland. Semis, I think. I think semis would be great. Um, look at our group; it's not easy. You know, we've got uh, Ireland first up, which I think we can beat Ireland. I think that's the one game we've got to really go hard at. I think you're probably better at having that fix your first. Oh, definitely. And Ireland have been Ireland an aging side for me. You know, the, the very good side, very well organised. But you know, the, the, there's not too many surprises there. You know, we know what they're going to do. We know how they're going to play. Um, and I think they can be found out a little bit in the, in this World Cup, as they have been in our other World Cups. So you know, I think Ireland first up's good for us, and then we've got I think we've got Samoa, Georgia, uh, and then Japan the last game. So you know, we'll know what we've got to do going into the last game because I do believe we'll beat Samoa. Well, and it's interesting because I didn't know this, but um, I'm reliably told, and it's true, that Japan as a hosts had some influence in the way in which that group was constituted, so they chose to try and take their fixtures later and get the big one, so to speak, Ireland and Scotland, right up first off. Well, it is the very last uh, pool game, to, you know, so it's going to be a big one to finish with and, and maybe quite a lot, an awful lot resting on it, and that'll be a really tough game. Well, the thing game. is, you've no idea what's, what state the sides will be in come then, will you? The squads and injuries and all sorts of things. Well, it's like, it's like you know, it's like the... Our group, you know, Scotland could beat Ireland, Ireland could beat Japan, Japan could beat Scotland. You know, it could come down to points differential or whatever. And the same goes for the English group as well. You know, it's, it's, it could it could have the same situation. But, you know, the, listen, you can't go into, you've got to go into thinking every game you're going to win. Um, and if we can get to the 
get this quarterfinals. The problem we've got is we've got the All Blacks of South Africa either way uh, in the quarterfinals. So I'd rather play the South Africa if possible, um, whatever way that happens, because we've beaten them before. We've never beaten the All Blacks, and I can't see it happening at a World Cup. So um, listen, a semi-final for Scotland would be amazing, and then after that, you just got to dream about getting to that final. Well, England, three wins out of four in their warm-up games to discuss those performances and indeed their prospects in Japan. We're pleased to speak to Mark Cueto again, the former England and Lions winger. Hello, Mark. Hi, Brian. All right. Yeah, not bad. Um, Eddie Jones has been tinkering around with various combinations uh, for various reasons. Um, Are you happy that... He has got in his mind the starting 23 and the way in which he wants to approach the tournament. Um, I think the, the, you know what it's like, Brad. I think the warm-up games, you, they go well and, and you know, and everyone's sort of raving or, or they, they don't go so well and, and you treat them as warm-up games. But I think ultimately we're we're in a pretty good position. I think prior to that first game at Twickenham against Wales, where, as you mentioned, Eddie put, you know, for want of a better term, uh, pretty much a second team out, and Wales came to Twickenham pretty much with their Grand Slam winning team. Um, you know, there was loads on the line for them going ranking. You know, if they beat England, they'd go number one in the world. Alwyn Jones's record cap, all this sort of stuff, and the, the way we we beat them. I, I thought we were we were outstanding that that day, and then you know again to to back it up against the Irish, you know, two weeks ago the game on Friday night was 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 a bit of a nothing game really for me. I think both teams looked like they were just treading on eggshells, and nobody wanted to pick up an injury or you know jeopardise the World Cup. So I think I think overall you know we went we went down to Cardiff. That was always going to be a tough game, and you know. We, we ran them pretty close. I think uh, I think generally the, the lads will be happy with that performance. A last-minute try by by George North sort of secured it for them. But I think I think overall they'll they'll be in a really really positive place. And a couple of things. I mean, he's taking Mako Vinopola and Jack Noel. They're probably not going to be available till the third game, which is the start of the big ones for England in the pool. But if by any chance they're not available for those. There's a good case for them not going at all. Now, given the amount of talent we've got and the coverage in the back three, and there's loads there, wouldn't it have been better off taking another scrum off? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think, I think the fact, you know, the fact Joe Ford, uh, sorry, George Ford, is, is, is covering, you know, as, as emergency nine cover, it, it, it just seems crazy. It seems, it seems crazy. You know, we all... We all know how good Ben Youngs is. You know, he's, he's got a wealth of wealth of experience. He's the out and out num- number one. You know, obviously something's happened with Danny Kerr a lot along the way. You know, there's there's guys like Richard Wigglesworth as well that have that have stepped in and, and done brilliantly well for for England over the years. You know, but to to give to give Willie Hines that sort of second spot. You know, and it's not even like he's given him a proper run in his warm up games either. So. Uh, I, I, it, 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 it is his own man, 
Brian, isn't he? You know, he, he, he seems to thrive off making these funny decisions and, uh, you know, and, and, and making the press and the media sort of, you know, question what he's doing. Um, but I think he's, he's, he's got to be careful. You know, it seems funny. You know, he ultimately knows... He knows what World Cups are all about. He's, he's won them. He's been involved with in, in, in setups. Um, you know, he's had a lot of experience. And you know, who are we to sort of say to him, you know, what what are you doing? But you, you know, your gut just seems to be. And you know, he's got to be careful with all this sort of tinkering and all this messing about with with the squad. And and particularly, like you say, when he's when he's got so much experience, so much quality. To be to be tinkering around with a squad like he is just just seems stupid, really. Well, the the only reason for me to take Jack Noll is to definitely play him in the starting fifteen in the first big game, the third the third pool game. Because I can't see, and that seems to me to indicate a back three of either Watson or Noll, either Watson or Daly at fullback, with Johnny May on the other wing. What do you think? That, I think that would be the starting. Starting back three for me, you know, Johnny May completely nailed on. Um, again, who knows between Elliot Daly and Anthony Watson? I think, I think if if push came to shove, I, I'd I'd suggested he'd go with Anthony Watson at fullback, and then Jack Noel on the other wing. But but again, um, you know that sort of faith and that trust that that he's putting in Jack. You know, it, it, it just beggars belief. Uh, you know, I, I I think Jack's as, as good as as the next man. But when you know he's struggled with injuries, he's not played any rugby. To to drop him into a World Cup, you know, whether it be the second, third, or fourth game, you know, and expecting to hit the ground running, you know, I, I just can't see it happening. Well, England at the moment they're stuck in. Uh, <laughs> they're stuck waiting for a coach because of a typhoon and so on. Um, these things are not ideal. But are people making a bit too much of it, saying it will be disruptive of their preparation? Yeah, I think so. I think so. It, it you know, it is what it is. Um, you know, in an ideal world, you don't have disruptions like this. But it's it, it's happening. But you know, there's still a good two weeks plus away from their first game. So, you know, if if their sort of preparation and training gets disrupted by a day or two now, you know, in the in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to make a huge amount of difference. They've you know they've played four games. They've been together for ten weeks. Uh, you know, if if anything, it might be it might be a bit of a blessing in disguise that that they can't uh, they can't get out on the training field or you, you know whatever. So um, I think I think ultimately, again, it, it, you know, it is the press making making something out of nothing. You know, they've they've got a right. They've <laughs> they've they've just flown out to to Japan for the start of the World Cup. You know, it's it's high on their agenda. It's it's high on everybody's agenda. People want to hear about what's going on, but. Uh, Ultimately, I can't see it making a huge difference now. Mark, same question uh, as to all the contributors uh, in this uh, podcast. Uh, minimum return for England. Final, semi-final, win? Minimum return. Uh, I think off the, back, <laughs> off the back of 2015, getting out of the group. <laughs> you know, it, <laughs> if, if, we'd have asked, if you'd have asked me the same question back then, you'd have said, Final, you know, on home on home soil, and all the rest of it. But uh, you know, that was a disaster. I think, 
I think on paper we we've got the team and we've got the ability to to go to the final. But you, you know, you know as well as me, it's never as easy as that. So I think I think realistically, anything less than a than a semi final would be a disappointment. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll we'll soon see. Uh, good to speak to you as always, Mark. Thanks very much. Top man. Cheers, Brian. Cheers. Uh, Craig, I wrote. We've been discussing, and we will be discussing throughout the podcast about the importance of of ball carriers because that's what creates momentum. That's what gets you the hard yards and opens everything up. And when England have available to them, and Johnny May is a carrier, believe me, n- not in the power way, but he always makes b- space and so on. When you've got him, Thokina Senior, Tuolangi, both of the Napolers. George is a good carrier. Sinclair, Cruz, Itoji, um, Laws. You've got there, if they all play and they all play well, as good an armoury as anyone else has got. Oh, they are. They have. And uh, I've been really impressed with Cockney Singer. I think that's how you say it. I'm not sure. Cockney Singer. <laughs> but I, I think Tuolang is going to be a key guy for, for England in this World Cup. He's been injured a lot. He seems to have you know, got through that now, not picking up the little injuries and stuff. So... You know, I'd like to see him back playing. You know, for for England and playing well for England because I think he can be a massive can, have, a, have a massive influence. Can you but, tell everyone what the presence of someone like Tuolangi at twelve does when you're a defender at, at ten and you got ten twelve? What, what does it do? I was always going when I was playing Scott Gibbs or Tim Horan. It was it was man and man. I was going man and man because normally drift you drift out from a line out and you'd have Scott Gibbs or Tim Horan or you know one of these guys coming down your channel which was not much not much fun to be fair um, especially Scott Gibbs because uh, he was one of the hardest guys to to get a hold of uh, a much preferred you know tackling somebody with longer legs mm-hmm. much bigger target to hit but you know I, th- I think to Alangi's you know, low centre of gravity um, you know pace good fend you know <laughs> but his best position is 13 I think I think if England 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 play the best midfield which I think is probably Farrell, Tuolangi, Slade when they're all fit. Um, it, it, it doesn't play him in his best in his most effective position. He can hit short, but he's good in outside channels as well, and he's very, very strong and quick. So, yeah, I think he's going to be key in whatever he plays for England. But you know, taking on these guys coming down, and it's it's really really important nowadays. Teams have got strong tackles in that in that ten channel because you know if if you've got a weak guy. You know, you can target that, you know, you know, to be fair to George Ford, he's not the biggest guy in the world. And if he plays at 10 for England, then teams will target him. And, you know, likewise with any other 10 that's not the greatest tackler. So you've got to, you know, you've, you've, you've got to be able to do all aspects of the game now, tackling, running, carry, you know. So I think it's, it's, a, it's, a, key, uh, it's a key area. Well, I think England just need to be cute with two line. They need to get enough ball to him so he can do what he can do. But because players can't drift off him, because you can't take a chance of getting caught, you know, with an inside shoulder, use him as a decoy with having the runners outside could open up all sorts of possibilities. Yeah, I think for me, it's, you know, the the go-forward ball is, you know, front foot ball is so important. You know, we've got to give the forwards targets, um, whether it's with our centres or wingers or whoever. But it's decision-making when they get the quick ball, when to go wide. And it's communication from the outside. And it's good communication, not just 
you know, some winger shouting, give me it now, and it's not on. You know, calling at the right times, right place, decision. And, you know, it'll come down to two or three key decisions, uh, these big games in the World Cup. And, and get them right, you could be the winners. Get them wrong, you might win nothing. Well, I think that's one of the things that England fans, you know, have got reason to, um, to look favourably on this uh, squad because not only have they got and shown they've got the ball carriers, but save just against Ireland. All right, Ireland didn't play well. But you still have to finish these off. And the thing about the backs did, they kept the depth, they kept the width, they kept the timings right, passes went in front. And so, you know, six chances, six tries. And England are one of the few teams, I think, who've shown they've got the ability to score tries quickly. So if they get behind, you can do it. With Wales and Ireland, I get the feeling if something goes wrong and you have a couple of bounces that are bad, you get two tries down, they might struggle with the way that they habitually play the game to, to make that up. Yeah, I think England, England showed it really clinical, you know, throughout the warm-up games, you know, predominantly scoring the tries when they come along. You know, wingers holding their depth is a massive bugbear for, for most midfield backs because they do creep and try and get that when get that extra yard. But I think Wales, I think Wales and Ireland, I mean Ireland's Ireland's best strike player at the moment is Stockdale. You know, George North needs to get in the ball. It's bringing these players into the right, into, into the game at the right time in the right place of the right kind of ball. You don't want to be sending up a channel that's going to be blocked up. You want to get a, you know, get a shoulder, even get, you know, offload. So, you know, it's, it's timings, it's, it's decision making, right place, right time in the park. And I think if, if teams get that right, it'll be, you know, creating so many chances in the game. Um, you only get so many, you've got to take them when they come along. Well, England will, depending on the position, if they get out of the group, first or second, will have probably um, Australia or Wales. And then one of the semi-finalists will be New Zealand or South Africa, provided they win their games. And that's obviously an assumption. Uh, and might, it might be an erroneous one. Um, from an England point of view, look, it's as simple as this in this World Cup. Whichever way this draw goes down and the first game's in the top half of the pool are going to be absolutely crucial as to where things break down. No side is going to have, you know, an easier run to the final, which has happened in other other tournaments. So whoever wins this um, particular uh, World Cup is going to have to have earned it. Um, and I, I put it no higher than this. If England play as well as they can and they have all the ball carriers fit and playing, they've got as good a chance as anyone and no one will like playing them. But they won't play... Brilliant every game, and look at the team that won the World Cup in two thousand and three. They struggled. They've been the best team before the World Cup. Well, they were behind in four of the games. Exactly. So you know what? They go in there with the massive pressure of we can, they can win this. Um, other teams don't have that pressure. England do have that pressure every time they take the pitch. They're expected to beat whoever is put in front of them. And can they deal with that pressure? I think they can. I think you know. I think the, the the quality of player that England have got right throughout the squad, the depth is unbelievable. Can they go and do it in Japan? I think they can. I think they're one of the four teams that can win the World Cup, and uh, you know, I, I have no doubt. I have no doubt that they're mentally strong. They're looking great, Nick. Well, why don't we turn to the number one side in the world according to? World rankings, that's uh, Ireland, despite some very indifferent form since the height of beating the All Blacks in 2018. They've gone 
to number one. Let's speak to Darren Cave, the former Ireland and Ulster Centre, about their prospects. Hello, Darren. Hello, all I heard was he saying that we were the best team in the world. No, no, I said you were ranked number one. I don't know. <laughs> Look, the, the, I, the Wales are fifth now. God, it's, it's a nonsense. Let's leave that to one side because it's incomprehensible to me. Uh, yeah. Ireland gave um, Joe Schmidt Rory best. Good send-off. Good win against uh, uh, Wales at home. Um, do you think they're anywhere near the form that they showed when they were on that big climb, long run? Uh, to beating the All Blacks in 2018 are still somewhere short? Uh, I think it was a bit more like Ireland. Uh, there's no hiding the fact that we were a little bit twitchy after that England game on the back of a Six Nations where we had been beaten comprehensively by both England and Wales. Uh, but I think the most encouraging thing, I think the way to beat this Ireland team is out and out par. Um, it's stopping their momentum completely and the big concern is when we get to the World Cup it's the likes of Wales, England who we've really struggled with who are just literally, the last two times we've played England they've just completely stopped our momentum they've smashed us and we've really struggled again with the game um, at the World Cup I think teams like Scotland will try and move the ball, I think that'll suit us but it's when we come up against the absolute powerhouse nations and England are, are one of those at the minute what do you think of the pairing of Robbie Henshaw and Bundyaki? Is that a likely likely started pairing? If you'd asked me three weeks ago, I said no. I always thought it was uh, Robbie Henshaw 12, Gary Ringrose at 13. Um, the only time the three of them have been fit and available for Ireland before he put Robbie Henshaw fullback against England in the Six Nations, which didn't work. I think uh, the way Bundyaki's played the last two weeks and the f- level of physicality that he helps give us, I think it could be Bundyaki with um, Robbie Henshaw. And then actually Gary Ringrose has come on and played okay on the wing the last two weeks. So I'm wondering, is Joe lining him up for um, you know that wee slot on the bench? So I think at the minute it's looking like it's Aki and Henshaw. And, uh, hi, Darren. It's Craig Chalmers here. How are you doing? How are you? Good, mate. Good. Listen, how full back, you know, Rob Kearney is coming for a lot of uh, criticism recently as well about how he's been playing. Um, have you every faith in him going to the World Cup and being number one full back? Because Henshaw, uh, not Henshaw, Ringrose could play 15 as well, maybe. Yeah, I've never seen uh, Ringrose play 15, but Joe Name checked him as somebody that could go there for them. Um, I, I'm personally a big fan of Rob Kearney. I think. Um, you know, he offers so much positionally. We saw at the weekend there was a Wales had a lovely attacking platform from a midfield scrum. They passed uh, they passed the ball left and went back right and a chip through, uh, which was perfectly done by Halfpenny and, and Carney got there in time and you know, sometimes it's about saving seven points at that end. So I'm personally a big fan of Rob Carney and I think he along with uh, the likes of Rory Best are two players that um, I don't know how many times they have to prove themselves as, as sort of key players for Ireland before the media and all the fans start giving them a hard time. Yeah, it's like form is temporary, class is permanent. Is that the? Is that, is that, yeah. And I think you're. Absolutely. I, think, I think you're right. I think the, his his reading of the game at, on Saturday in that in that situation was uh, was was fantastic, and and probably gives him a lot of confidence as well. Like last weekend, probably gets him back on on track and and uh, on the plane to the World Cup. And although you've got a really tough first game, which is. <laughs> yeah. Although, as I did say, I think I think the way Scotland 
Scotland play will suit us because I don't think they'll try and absolutely obliterate us. We can, um, and I think can, that will suit yeah. Ireland. Yeah, we can't. We're not, we don't have the big, powerful uh, forwards that other teams have, and and you know we play to our strengths. But I think that's why we only you know we only go so far at times. Yeah, and the, yeah, you, was... you mentioned the forwards and Rory Best. Obviously, very emotional sender for him. You've known him very well in your Ulster days together. He's got a big, big role, not just as a hooker, which is a very important position, but you know, as a fulcrum and the focus of of Ireland uh, with the uh, captaincy. He, Healy and uh, Tag Furlong not quite got back to their scrummaging best. The scrum creaked a little bit against um, England and the line-out has been, has been well, susceptible. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's quite a kind term, actually, for some of the things that have gone on over their warm-up period. Um, Devon Turner isn't there. Is that a... Is that a, an, an exclusion you would balk at? Um, it was definitely, when the squad was announced, I thought there was a few 50-50 calls, decisions that, um, you know, you can see Joe Smith's thinking. Um, that was, The toner omission was the one that, under no circumstance, that I see coming. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I'm not saying it's wrong. I do think it's a bit of a risk. Our set piece, in particular, our line-out, has come in for a bit of... Um, for a bit of, uh, I was about to say, pressure. It's been, it's, it's a bit under pressure at the minute, let's say. And uh, you know, Rory has taken a hard time for it. And as you well know, Brian, it's not always the hooker's fault. There's, oh, there's lots yeah, of components. Yeah. There's, <laughs> there's lots of components. Um, <laughs> and not having, you know, a six foot ten guy who runs the line out well, who, who calls the ball to the right place, who can see the right winning options, who can get up in the air high and quickly. It does make it harder. Um, and although Wales put out. Um, quite a weekend team in the first game that was the first time I'd seen um, a back row of Tag Byrne, Peter O'Mahony and Jack Conan and that's what I wonder could be the the trade-off, could Ireland go with three line-out forwards in the back row as well as Henderson and Ryan and suddenly Rory Best has got the ball line-out time with five winning options and that might help us It certainly will help you but then you've always a balance and you mentioned the power aspect CJ Stander has been one, uh, if not the prime ball carrier for for Ireland uh, when they've played well. Where is that going to come from? Because every side needs carriers that can break the gain line, can set up the uh, quick second phase ball, and everything flows from there. So, who are they going to ask to do that? Well, that is that's a million dollar question for Ireland, and if we can't do that, that is where we struggle. I think that's one reason why, despite Gary Ringrose being a fantastic player, they might go for that size in the centre. If Standard doesn't play, you've still got Jack Conan in there, um, who's a seriously good ball carrier as well. Probably not quite as big as Standard, but uh, with very good footwork and very powerful. And he's someone I'd be telling the listeners, uh, your listeners, to keep an eye on. I think he could have a big World Cup on the on the hard surfaces and the fast games over there. Um, but I think James Ryan's made a big difference as well. I think he's sort of over the last 18 months has slowly but surely crept up to potentially Ireland's best player at the minute. So he's another guy I'd be telling people to keep an eye on in the World Cup. Question we're asking uh, everybody because it's the one that everyone wants to uh, know. Ireland's World Cup record over the whole you know, history of the tournament is not good. Um, they have got a very good squad going out there, certainly at least on paper, depends how the form goes. Where should they realistically be looking as a minimum in this tournament? What return? 
It's it's a tough question to answer because the group that obviously um, we're paired up with is that New Zealand South Africa group. Mm-hmm. So, assuming we get out of it, whether we win it or or we're second, we're going to be faced with the All Blacks or South Africa. Yeah. Um, so. You know, I'm not going to lie. I do think Ireland as a country will be a little disappointed if we don't get to the semi-final. Um, and I don't think that, I think that some of that's our hearts here and our passion for the game and no, we've never been to a semi-final. But there's definitely part of us. We know, on our, I think Ireland have beaten New Zealand in two of the last three goals. I think they've beaten, um, they've won us, uh, uh, I can't remember what the status of South Africa. I think it's five in the last, seven or eight. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know we're capable of beating these teams and we would be a little bit disappointed with if we didn't get a semi-final. Well, we don't have long to to wait and I'm sure that like everyone else, you're looking forward to the tournament immensely. Thanks very much for giving us your thoughts, Darren. Thanks for having me, guys. Craig, Ireland first up. There are arguments as to whether you would want that or later on in the tournament. To me, Given Scotland's form, the chance of catching Ireland a bit cold, I think you're probably better first up. What are your thoughts? No, I totally agree. I think uh, Ireland first up is good for us. I think we've just won our last three games. Um, obviously, warm-up games, obviously not against the best opposition, uh, Georgia, but uh, the confidence is there, hopefully. The guys are all fit and healthy going onto the plane. Um Obviously, take the few days to adapt in uh, in Japan when they get there, and and then throw everything at this first game, absolutely everything, and try and get the result. Because I, I do believe if we can win the group, we will play South Africa, and uh, that is who I would rather play. I'm not playing, <laughs> but uh, I would rather play South Africa in the quarterfinals um, if we can get out the group as group winners. Well, we talked about Ireland. Why not uh, switch now to Wales and get the thoughts of Jamie Roberts, the Wales and Bath Centre and now Telegraph columnist. Hello, Jimmy. Brian, how are you doing, mate? OK, uh, Warren Gatland uh, said the competition starts now. Uh, he's right in that sense. But three defeats from four of the warm-up games uh, is not ideal. Um, he doesn't sound worried. Is there any reason for anyone else to be? No, I don't think so. Look, I obviously played a, a pretty experimental side against Ireland at home, um, you know, and that, and that ended in defeat. Uh, obviously, they beat England at home, lost away, uh, couldn't get the result out in Dublin on the weekend. Um, you know, it's a good, good opportunity. I think those warm-up games, you know, if you if you win them by 50, well, then you go into the tournament with more confidence. It's, it's difficult to say if you lose them by 20, 30 points, all of a sudden is it a crisis? I don't, I don't think so. It's an opportunity for lads to blow off the cobwebs and put into practice what they've been trying to get in, uh, get done in pre-season. Wales, I think the most important thing for Wales, they have they have Georgia first up, and I think Warren uh, Warren will go with his with his starting side for that one, um, just to make sure they can hit the ground running, uh, get ready for that Test match against Australia in their second game of the tournament. Well, defence has never been an issue with Wales, one of their uh, big strengths. But if if I was to take anything and look at the, uh, you know, critically, I'd wonder, especially with Gareth Anscombe being out now and his creativity, um, where the, the tries are going to come from? Because the try haul in the four games, you know, was, was, was not good. Yeah, yeah, that's one thing that's been picked on. I think Wales... Um... Have averaged just over kind of double digits in, in points scored in those four, first few games. So the squad will be aware of that, and I think you know someone like Rob Howley, who's the attack coach, 
will be aware, well aware of that, and they need to improve on that if, if they're going to win the World Cup. There's no doubt about that. They need to score tries. Um, and so that's something I'll be working on, I think, quite hard over the next few weeks. Their defence has been in, impressive, um, you know, albeit made potentially a few soft tries in these warm-up games. But I think collectively as a group, they're, they're pretty happy with their defence. But you're right, I think attacking-wise, they need to go up a notch. There's no denying that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, whoever the personnel is, there's, there's threats across the park in that Welsh team. Uh, we've seen that over the last year, 18 months. If we can get the ball in the hands of, you know, Josh Adams, George North, Liam Williams, these guys in space, um, they're going to cause teams problems. So, you know, regardless of who's outside half. Hi, Jamie, it's Craig Chalmers here. Good to see you on uh, Thursday night. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, Ambition-wise, is that why the back three, Wales have got one of the best back threes in world rugby, I believe, but are they just not getting the ball in their hands enough? And is that is that lack of ambition? Is that lack of is that coming from the top? What do you think? Yeah, well, it's, it's getting this, it's getting the ball to those guys in space, I guess. You know, obviously the forwards have a, have a platform to deliver off set piece. Um, do you go wide early? Uh, you know, teams now were pretty pretty savvy to that, and you know, bring a lot of line speed. Ireland certainly did that on the weekend, um, and it's difficult to play wide before you before you play tight. Um, you know, that's a pretty basic thing in rugby, but I think we just need to. Um, you know, make sure those lads are ready to go on counter attack. Certainly, transition ball now, off turnovers, off counter attack. It's going to be huge in Japan. And we, you know, the best teams in the world at the minute are scoring points off turnovers. Um, pretty a high percentage of of uh, points off turnovers. So, you know, those lads try, have to have to get into the game off off loose ball. Um, and they're dangerous players. Well, you, you look across the whole Welsh back, back line. Hadley Parks, Jonathan Davis as well. Our scrum halves are, are pretty quick. You know, Gareth Davis, Alan Davis, Thomas Williams. They're all they're all very sharp. So it's about getting the, getting the ball to those guys in space off off unstructured play. Well, you mentioned the need to create room, and uh, the saying is you've got to earn the right to go wide. With the absence of Talipi Falatau, one of the genuine power carriers for Wales has gone. Which of the forwards uh, do you expect to be given the uh, task of, of creating those hard yards over the gain line? Uh, well, that's, that falls to the back row lads. You know, lads like Ross Moriarty, Aaron Wainwright. Um, you know, those guys, the athletes, the, the guys who can punch holes, who can punch, you know, one-on-one against, you know, single defenders, against weak shoulders to give the side momentum. Um, you know, there's less space now on the rugby field than there ever has been. And so the need to... The need to have big ball carriers and have guys has, has never been as important. Um, you know, Talupa Falatau was, was a massive loss because he was he's someone who can do that um, against two or three men. Um, he's someone who can carry into into brick walls and, and give the side momentum. Um, and it's important the backs do that as well. You know, when you look at George North, Jonathan Davis, Hadley Pass, they're not small. They're not small guys, and you know it's important the backs share that workload as well. You know we saw Andy Parsons line at the weekend, especially when you're getting into opposition 22. Um, and there's often a brick wall in front of you. You've got to be able to use your backs, and especially your big backs, effectively, effectively given the side momentum. So, so that responsibility falls across the whole forward pack. It's not it's not one or two guys, it's about them working as a unit to create that uh, create that space. And you know someone like Alan Wynne Jones is another small bloke either. So you know he he has the ability to do that as well. Well, you spoke very candidly about your own international career in today's Telegraph. Do you think you've played your final game for, for Wales? Um, 
I think when the World Cup is is over, uh, probably. But you know, I I I had dreams of of going to this World Cup. Um, you know, it wasn't to be. Uh, whether I'll have the opportunity if there are injuries uh, remains to be seen. But you know, I've, I've kind of accepted that pro- probably uh, after the World Cup I won't. Um, and you know, that's tough. That's tough to take because you know, I guess you always kind of want to do it on your terms. But um, look, I, I understand how how brutal Test rugby can be. You know, you can be flavour of the month one uh, one month and, and not the other. And uh, you know, when I when I do reflect on on what I did do in the last jersey, I'm, I'm very very proud. But um, you know, personally, I feel it kind of ended a bit too soon. Um, but that's my opinion. <laughs> that's really? my opinion. My opinion doesn't count, does it? Jamie, with a new coach coming in after the World Cup, surely that's you know might be an opportunity for you to impress in the Bath, and you know you just can't. You know, if you still have the ambition and the and the will to play for Wales, then you know there's no reason to give up just yet, mate. Yeah, I hope so. Um, I mean, I'm turning 33 in November, so I'm not. Uh, That's the I'm not naive enough to think, you know, <laughs> potentially for the next uh, World Cup, I might be a bit old. Um, and I'll, I'll, you know, these things work in cycles. And you know, when they're earmarking players in the next cycle to play at the next, and I'll, I'll probably be too old for that. So, whether my shot will come again, I'm not sure. But you know, I'm certainly uh, very, very proud of what I achieved for Wales. And um, you know, we'll see. There's a few months to go yet. <laughs> well, at some point, Jimmy, you're going to have to get on with your medical career. But anyway, the um, <laughs> you're heading out to Japan in this sense. You go part of the TV coverage. Um, is it as simple as this? Not winning the World Cup, anything less than that for Wales, wouldn't be a success with the squad they've got. Look, you know, the World Cup works this way. You get out your group and then you win three games. Um, I've played in two World Cups in 2011, uh, probably the biggest regret of my career, um, losing in a, in a semi-final by points, you know, not going to that last hurdle. And, you know, that's the closest I'm, I'm likely to come. Um, and it's the closest Wales, except for 1987 when they won the third place uh, game. Uh, Wales have come. And I just really think this group... And what they've done in the last eighteen months, two years, and the, and the upward trajectory they've been on, have the have the ability to go one step further. Um, the, the the groups never pan out as you think they're going to pan out. So there's always you know a couple of upsets, or um, you know the the first and second place in the group never go to never go to plan. So it's going to be really interesting actually which half of the draw um, one the All Blacks and South Africa get in, and, and two Wales and Australia as well. Um, and that's without, you know, without forgetting, you know, the likes of England and France, who are in the same group as Argentina. And so there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of interesting matchups, you know, in the and Scotland. <laughs> and Scotland. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of interesting matchups, and you know, going to be in the quarters, semis, and finals. So, um, like Wales, I, I think they'll get out their group. Um, you know, that Australia game is is massive to decide there. You know, first and second ranking, and that's paying no disrespect for. Fiji, but I think you know Wales should should beat Fiji. Well, uh, have a good time. Don't get caught in the uh, the storms that are out there, mate. Um, be safe. Uh, all the best, Top man. Nice to chat, Full contact in association with Mitsubishi Motors. Everyone's ambitions are different. You can climb to the top, or you could take on uphill battles of a different kind. You can explore for hundreds of miles, or you could begin a bigger journey. You can make time fly, or you could make it stand still. The Mitsubishi SUV range. Drive your ambition.
Time now to speak to someone who's had a long and successful career with Scottish rugby, both on and off field. Welcome, Alistair Kellogg. Hello, Alistair. Hi, Brian. How are you? I'm okay. Um, look, many different ways into rugby. Um, when did you start? What? How did your involvement come about? Uh, my uncle played at Stirling County, one of the one of the clubs up here, one of the successful clubs up here, uh, kind of seconds and thirds, and he he'd have been the first person to put a rugby ball in my hand. Um, I used to go to all the games uh, through Murrayfield with my parents and my family, um, but I'm Glasgow-based, uh, Ryan, so it's a football city. So all my rugby from an early age was played alongside football until I got to an age where I had to decide uh, which one I wanted to continue with, and I wasn't very good at football, so <laughs> I, kept, I kept going with the rugby. Um, when you're going through uh, younger careers, I'm sure it's the same for you as it was for me, Playing for the full international team is a, is a distant dream. You just get on with what you're doing. But there comes a point where you think, you know what? There, there is a possibility you could actually do this. Um, what was the point at which you started to think, actually, um, this dream might be possibly a re reality? I think it was probably a, around about the time where we started the Scottish Institute of Sport up here. Um, and there was a kind of... A, original group of players that were brought into her and I was one of those players and at that stage you're thinking oh there's obviously somebody seen something in me uh, and then probably more more so was being selected for the Scottish school so when you're in that mix you begin to think oh there's a possibility I could go on and, and, and play for your country Who were your contemporaries that also uh, uh, made it? Who were my contemporaries? So guys like Mike Blair Rory Lawson Chris Cusser was a year younger that's all, yeah. all the names Um who else we had? We had plenty. Uh, guys like John Beatty, John Bartley. Those guys are a, few, a wee bit younger than me, but we went to New Zealand uh, as a group of players, and Mike and Rory were heavily involved in that. There's guys Stephen Cranston who came on, got a couple of caps. Um, uh, Kelly Brown. Kelly Brown was a year younger, but all guys that we came up through the age groups were. Can you tell us about the moment that you were notified that you were getting your first cap? Yeah, so it was um, it was Australia, and uh, I remember you know as selection goes, and the way we used to do it was they, they would read the uh, they would read the team out on the bus on the way into training um, on a Tuesday. Uh, so I was sitting on the bus, and you know you're you're hopeful that you're going to get an opportunity, and uh, and your team, your name was read out. Now I was on I was on on the bench for that game, so it's a funny mixed emotion because. Um, you know that you're one step closer, but you're not quite there. And it's not really until you get that nod to come off the bench that uh, you realise, oh, this is, this is actually happening. Can you tell us exactly, if you can remember, what your thoughts and emotions were when you, when you got the signal? It's a strange emotion because it's an emotion mixed of, you know, the practicalities of going on to play a game of rugby. Um, so that elation of knowing that you're going on to get your first cap. And like many things in rugby, you sometimes it can pass you by until you've got a, period to sit down and reflect on it um, and as I got older I got I got better at doing that as well I think when you're you're young uh, you can assume that a lot of things are going to last forever and when you get a little bit older <laughs> and realise that there's plenty of young guys coming through who are uh, likely or uh, will undoubtedly take your jersey at some stage you treasure it a wee bit more so I, as I got to the latter stage of my career really grabbed that idea of treat, treating every game as if it was a, your last um you know, lifting my head during the anthem and 
you know, taking into account where you were, if my, my family were in the crowd, trying to pick them out in the crowd. And those were the things that, the memories that stand out for me now. Uh, some of the games all can emerge into one, but the ability to step back and, and realise where you are at times is, is massively important. Well, you always hope that you're never going to be a one-cap uh, wonder, but I've always said you can't tell because players are different, but there comes a point at which you as a player, an international player, you stop thinking negatively, thinking, look, just don't make mistakes, don't do anything wrong. And you start to think, actually, you know what? Um, I can play this game at this level, um, and I'm now going to concentrate on being more positive, uh, not just making mistakes, but actually going out and doing things, doing, expressing things, helping in a way in which I feel I can. Is there a moment where you sort of got there and you th that that thing switched for you? You felt you were you you were part of the team and you were going to make a bigger contribution. Yeah, und undoubtedly, I lost my place for. About 18 months or so, I uh, picked up a cap or, or so across that period. Um, I was only on about 26 caps at the time. It probably was about 26, 27 years old. And um, when I got back in, uh, I said to my wife, you need to uh, you need to bring our daughter. She was only six weeks old at the time because I said, this, this could be my last opportunity. Um, now, I got back in and something, exactly to your point, a, a realisation in my head Um just to enjoy it a bit more and, yeah. and take away some of the pressures. And actually, a realisation came of that, that, you, again, you, you add value in and continue to do that. Now, I was lucky. I went on and got another 30 caps after that. Um, but that was, a, that was a pivotal moment in my career. Where I, because I'd lost it, um, it, it didn't make me more desperate or it didn't make me try harder. It just made me a wee bit smarter about how, the, how I approached international rugby and it was an, a, a real privilege to be involved in, in every game uh, because you knew the feeling of sitting at home watching it as well. Well, obviously, um, the contributions you made impressed the powers that be because uh, 2011, big year for you. You were named captain for the Six Nations and then for the New Zealand uh, World Cup. Did you have any inkling that you were in line for that? Did they discuss it with you prior to that? The inkling came from the fact that I'd captain Scotland in some of the games, uh, as you said, captain Scotland in the Six Nations, but in some of the summer tours previously as well. But at that stage, um, there was guys like Mike Boyer uh, and Chris Custer who were probably in line as well. Now, they, there was a, a good amount, a high degree of competition um, in, at, at nine also in the second row. And, um, you know, to captain Scotland was, you know, the biggest honour I've had in rugby. Um, I still remember the first game where I, I led the team out, but then to, to get that um, that nod from it was Andy Robinson um, who was coaching us that I was going to be captain in the World Cup was was incredible. Um, can you tell us that that might have been the pinnacle of career, or it might have been something else? If you had to pick of your playing career, two or three standout moments that will you know live with you, uh, what would they be? Um, the, the leading the team out for the first time um, over in France was it was an incredible feeling. I, I'd grown up watching. Some of the, the greats, guys like uh, David Soule, um leading the team out, or John Jeffrey leading the team out, and um, to be part of that uh, group of players. And you never knew how long it was going to be. Uh, be even to be mentioned in the same breath, it was, it was special. Um, my 50th cap, um, I think because, as I said earlier, you get to that point in your career, you realise it's not going to last forever. And got my 50th cap and John Beattie uh, senior came in and presented it to me in the dressing room and again that was that was a huge moment I didn't 
you know, I, I'd worked incredibly hard to, to get there. Um, and at times, probably, there was no guarantee I was going to get there. Uh, and then the biggest, I mean, my, the, the, the pinnacle was a non-international moment. My last ever game of rugby um, was our Pro 12 victory for Glasgow in uh, 2015. So I was very privileged that my last act as a professional rugby player was lifting that trophy above my head. And I think because it was the last act and because it was a bit of a full stop on, on my career, it stands out as the, the, the greatest moment, my biggest moment. Well, the squad's out for uh, Japan. It's one of, one of I'm, I'm absolutely positive it's the most open World Cup uh, of, of any I can remember. New captain, Stuart McNally. Um, was he six? But why do you think he got the nod over, say, Greg Laidlow or John Barkley? Um, I think he's shown, he's shown he can captain, he's shown he can lead. He did that uh, down, uh, down at Twickenham and uh, that, I was going to say famous, maybe infamous game uh, during the Six Nations. Um, certainly in the se- second half, he showed the point of difference um, that leadership on the field could make. Um, he carries himself incredibly well. He, he's good amongst the squad. He's not a guy who's going to be shouting and screaming, but he leads by example in every single aspect of what he does, both performance-wise and and in all the other elements that uh, constitute being uh, the captain of your country. Um, I don't think it's in any way uh, a slight on John Barkley or, or Greg Laidlaw. Um, I think it's more a compliment to, to Stuart and, and his ability to lead. You know yourself that in any in any team you need a group of leaders. It's not just going to be one man. It can't just be one man. So his big challenge is to make sure he takes those guys with him. Uh, other guys like Pete Horn, like Ryan Wilson, who have a big influence in the leadership group uh, because it will take more than just him for you know the on field and off field. Completely, uh, everyone can argue about a squad. You can only take so many people. Some people are going to miss out. Hugh Jones, uh, Rory Hutchinson, two of the ones. Caught the eye that didn't quite make it, especially uh, Jones with his latter performances. Um, do you think they're unlucky? What do you think about the the decision to to not take them? Well, I think it shows the strength and depth that we've got. Um, which I mean, I would say it's probably the, the, the deepest, strongest squad we've had um, going to, going into a World Cup, um, and, and that's highlighted with some of the guys that, that aren't going. And you even look at. The second row, my old position, and unfortunately lost Sam Skinner, uh, which is a you know a big loss. His ability to cover the back row, and Richie Gray as well not going. Um, so Hugh, Hugh Jones, um, I think he'll be disappointed with the the summer. I'm disappointed that he's not maybe not grabbed that opportunity because he, he would have been a guy who's got enough credit in the bank to to get himself you know very very close to going, and, and then you just need to you know grab that last opportunity. Um, as I say, it's a strong squad. It's a squad that's got a nice balance to it. A squad that's got a good leadership element to it as well. We're in a we're in a tough group. We've got to play the hosts, obviously, in the uh, in the last of the group stages, in what could be a, a pivotal match. Uh, who knows what's gone before that? And with Ireland first up, I think Ireland first up is good for us because we're playing a Northern Hemisphere team who has gone through similar preparations to we have, um, similar amount of test matches. Um, but, you know, it's going to be, I agree with you, it's a tight World Cup to look at, but it's an exciting World Cup. I said, the, the, the problems that Gregor Townsend has had, trying to get his preparation right, not his fault. Uh, all teams get injuries. Very few squads get so many injuries in one specific position. And that was the notable thing about Scotland's injury list. You were having, you know, wholesale back rowers and front rowers, you're just not available. 
And I always thought it would be difficult to get them, even though it's good that they've all come back in and they're all available, you know, to, to do the reconstruction work, to familiarise them, even though they're experienced players, will take some time. Do you think Gregor will have enough time to get that fluency back? I do. I, I think we've seen the performances uh, improve throughout the, the summer tests. Uh, the, the initial game in France, um, everybody was at panic stations or externally. The, what does this mean? Well, I mean, ultimately, it was a, it was the first hit out um, in, a, in a pre-season game. Now, it's a, it's a test match and come all the pressures uh, uh, come with that. But the squad at that stage was still going through a heavy pre-season training. And I think we've seen that across... Uh, all of the, the summer tests for the, for the home nations that performances have been varied because you know at different stages of the preparation ultimately every every coach's job is to get the, the team that they're coaching to the World Cup in the best possible condition and that's physical condition mental condition and and rugby under the belts Inevitably when things don't go right there are a number of comments from all sorts of people some informed some less so um, there's been uh, one or two comments about the style um, that is played by Scotland under Gregor. Some people saying try to play too much rugby, not enough practicality. My uh, assessment has been Scotland's best chance of winning games is by playing with fluidity, with ambition, because they've got strength in that area rather than trying to grind games down and you know win by the odd point, which I don't think suited to do you think what do you think Gregor's approach in terms of tactics will be I, I agree with you we don't want to get into a, an arm wrestle with teams we need to go out there and we need to attack what Gregor needs is, is going to be working on and what needs to be right um, is the ability to control the game at times you know the ability to take the sting out of the game maybe the opposition are having a good kind of 10-15 minutes how do we grab control back of a game instead of continually having to chase it you know, everybody thinks about Finn Russell and his ability to, to go forward, and he is he is a phenomenal talent. But what I've seen from him recently is that ability to control a game as well. I think that he, he he's a very smart rugby player. Uh, his, his time in France has taught him that. Uh, and if when it's time to go, it'll be, you know, pedal to the floor, let's have a go, let's make sure we're playing fast, um, aggressive rugby. Uh, uh, and then at other times when it's time to control it, uh, I believe I believe we've got that, that ability in us as well. And it, it goes wider than just uh, a, a Finn or a Stuart Hogg when you look at whoever gets selected at nine, because it's still, you know, it's a it's a, comp, a, a place that's definitely up for grabs. Their ability to control the game from nine will be massively important as well. well I wish uh, Scotland all the best and thank you very much for speaking to us. Right, thank you very much. Top man, bye-bye. While you're here, World Cup memories. There are lots of them. Um, we both shared an experience in 1990, a Grand Slam went your way. Uh, then we shared an experience in the World Cup the following year. It went our way. Um, Gavin Hastings said it's the biggest regret of his career that he missed that kick between the posts. Uh, should you have taken it? Yeah, well, actually started the World Cup as first choice goal kicker. I kicked through the I kicked through the world the, the Grand Slam in 1990 um, and the 1991 uh, Five Nations and I started the World Cup as first choice kicker against Japan I got a dead leg um, 
after the third try and the, and, the, and Gavin took over the kicking because of it. It was as simple as that. Is that the reason? Isn't That's it? the reason. And well, thank God for that. And he took over. He took <laughs> over the kicking in that game, and he was kneeling kneeling them beautifully. And the balls were new balls. They were Webb Ellis balls, which were slightly different. But listen, it doesn't matter who knocks them over as long as they go over. And he, he didn't miss a kick all the way through until that game against England in the semi-final. And he did take a knock. He did take a knock himself just before that. Uh, took a short ball, took a knock to the leg, and uh, but he just he took the kick. I mean, it's one of these. It's one of these kicks you look back on, and Gav would kick that every day of the week, you know, with his left foot. Um, so you know, it was just a massive surprise. We were back at the halfway line, yes. expecting them to knock, knock well, it so over. We, nine, well, so we had to send the post, but nine we six up, you know, five yeah. six, whatever it was to go. You know, there wasn't, there wasn't an awful lot, long time left, and yeah, you guys came back in the park, and and, and Rob dropped a goal. Um, you know, he, you know, fantastic drop goal. A picture of me diving to try and charge it down, but listen. You know, it happens, you know, it's, it's the small margins between success and failure. And, you know, there's no reason why we couldn't have went on. I thought you guys were going to go on and win that World Cup. So and, did I. And, yeah, I, I did. I thought you were the best team. I thought you were the best team. And, and It's all gone now. It is gone. Oh, it is, yeah, what might it have been? But it's small margins and there's little things. Looking back in your final in 91, you know, there's there's little things in that game that you, you look at what could but. It's taking the chances and they come along, and a bit of luck, a bit of luck along the way as well. Well, that's what people um, perhaps underestimate. The winners of this World Cup will need a little bit somewhere. It's always happening in every other World Cup, um, and you need that. I'm not saying you need outrageous stuff, but um, just the bounce of a ball, just the rub of a green with a decision, or, or whatever. Look, let's finish with uh, some more reflections. Um, some sad news. Um, I saw you paying tribute to the great. Chester Williams on Twitter, who sadly died this week, I think, aged just 49. Um, yeah. What a player. What are your memories of him? Oh, listen, I played against Chester um, 94 at Murrayfield was the first time I played against Chester. And uh, very quiet guy, very unassuming, uh, you know, iconic figure in, in South African rugby, but also world rugby. Um, the only black player in that World Cup final. Um, and, you know, he, he's just a fantastic bloke. I spent six weeks with them during the last World Cup working with a company and uh, we got to know him really, really well and, you know, just, you know, just a fantastic bloke, you know, talk to everybody, anybody and uh, some great stories of the of, of his of his career and his yes. life and just got, you know, it's such a, it's such a shame, it's taken far too soon and, you know, obviously our thoughts are with his family and friends. Absolutely. Um, an iconic World Cup politically, se- seismic contributions, from many people, including Chester Williams, um, rest in peace. That's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph and Mitsubishi Motors. Thank you very much to my co-host Craig Chalmers and thank you, as always, to all our guests. Please do subscribe to the podcast to make sure you don't miss an episode every Monday during the World Cup and beyond. And please write a review whilst you're there too. But for now, goodbye.